Father, come and talk to us. Come and comfort us. Come and reveal to us. Come and sustain us. Grant that we may stand with our crucified Savior, totally content to be rejected, entirely willing to take up unpopular truths, perfectly pleased to hold fast despised doctrine. Help us to be resolute until we die and cry with Polycarp, send for the wild beasts. And say with Withgal, I fear neither death nor fire. I am prepared for both. So do your worst. Give us the resolve of a John Huss to say, I would not for a chapel full of gold recede from the truth. I will gladly die. Father, you will either deliver us from death or through death. But you will deliver us. This is our confidence and expectation. Use this text, precious Lord, to prepare us now for the beast and the fire. Give sustaining grace this hour and enduring grace for the hour to come. This is our corporate plea. Amen. Converting to Christ... Christian conversion does not remove us from the world, but rather puts us in conflict with it. The church should expect to be in conflict with a culture that hates her master. Persecution? Persecution is not a sign that God has forsaken us. Rather, a sign of true sonship. Jesus writes to a hated church, a despised church. He writes to the persecuted church. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. He commends them for certain behaviors and beliefs, and he rebukes them for certain behaviors and beliefs. But the church of Smyrna is unique because we only have commendation. Jesus only has positive things to say of this church. And I wonder if there's a connection. If persecution purifies the bride of Christ. If there is something about suffering that sanctifies our behavior and belief. Here's how we will go at this text. First, expositing Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. That's four verses. Then applying Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. We're going to have eight takeaways. Expositing Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. And then applying Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. Let's begin first with expositing Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. Notice verse 8. And to the angel of the church, where is it? In Smyrna, write... The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Uh, let's, let's talk about the city where this church was located. Smyrna. This is not a city in Tennessee. It's a city in, in ancient Asia Minor. 
It's only mentioned here in the New Testament. It's debated, but historians tell us there were around 100,000 people in that city. That's Clarksville, Tennessee, minus 60,000 people. Or Bowling Green, Kentucky, plus 25,000 people. But unlike Clarksville, this city had a sweet smell to it. <laughs> the, the name Smyrna means myrrh. That was a perfume. The city had flowering myrrh trees throughout and when the flowers were crushed, it produced a sticky resin and became a fragrant spice used in perfume. It was a sweet-smelling city, but it was also an eye-pleasing city. It had paved streets and colonnades. The city architects did make a mistake in designing the city by neglecting to install canals under the streets so in heavy rains the, the city flooded. Seven to eight hundred years before this writing Homer was born in this city. Homer, the, the poet, not the Simpson. <laughs> the city also housed a giant arena where they held gladiatorial games and lion hunts. It's likely the church at Smyrna was started 30 years ago during Paul's third missionary journey. Jesus wants this church to know who is writing this letter, so he tells them this is from the one who died and came back to life. Now, this would have hit the recipients of this letter in two ways. The first way, the city of Smyrna died and came back to life. About 100 years after Homer, the city died for 300 years and then came back to life died in 600 B.C. and came back in 290 B.C. The readers would have known their city history well. We are the city who died and came back to life. Now we are receiving a letter from the person who died and came back to life. That's the first way. The second way and the main, the main one, Jesus reminds this persecuted church, don't be afraid of death. I've conquered it. I was dead and came back to life. Jesus also describes himself as the first and the last. I existed before Bethlehem. I'm eternal. I was not created or built like your city. I have no beginning and I have no end. I am the first and the last. Verse 8, that is the resurrected Christ writes. Verse 9, that is, the resurrected Christ knows. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Christ knows your pain. It's like he put his arms around this persecuted church and he says, I know. I know. He's, he's comforting his church by revealing to them, I see everything. Not one injustice has escaped my eye. Not one tear has fallen to the ground without me noticing. I know your tribulation. These people were victims of mob violence. They, they were victims of looting. 
Davy said they were like, likely, uh, they likely endured similar acts to that which the Jews suffered in Nazi Europe. Their homes were vandalized in broad daylight. Their shops were broken into and all their goods stolen. Jesus writes this letter to the whole church. Uh, to the Christian men who were beaten in the streets. To the Christian women who were abused by predators. To young boys and girls who were ostracized in that city for having Christian parents. Jesus says, there is nothing that has happened to you that I'm not aware of. I saw the tribulation when they tore your skirt in the alley. I saw the tribulation when they pushed you down and kicked you and spit on you. I saw the tribulation when they teased you at school for following Christ. I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. Christians in Smyrna were canceled. Cancel culture didn't begin in 2020. These Christians were socially ostracized and their businesses boycotted. They were not able to purchase certain necessities. They were denied business. No one would hire them if they claimed Christ as Savior. This caused members of the church at Smyrna to be in dire poverty. The city was rich, but the Christians in the city were poor. They lived in squalor and barely made it. Oh, and the church? The church kept missing budget. They always operated in the red. This is the persecuted church and the poor church. Notice what Jesus says next. But you are rich. <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> that's just wrong. Why is Jesus calling them rich when he knows they can't afford toilet paper? They can't afford to put food on the table. They can't afford to clothe their children. They are not rich in earth's currency. But they are in heaven's currency. Jesus says you have a poverty of a type. But I don't count wealth the way the world counts it. Everybody else in the city doesn't know it. But you are the rich ones. Your wealth lasts beyond the grave. To know the love of God is to be rich. You are rich even in poverty, even in prison, even in death. You are rich. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. And I know about the slander. The false accusations you're facing, the verbal abuse you're enduring. I know you're the recipient of a smear campaign. Who is doing this to the church in Smyrna? Who is leading the smear campaign? Here's the answer it's a little surprising ethnic Jews. If you're not careful, you can think that all Jews in the New Testament were Christians. After all, the Jews were God's people in the Old Testament, so naturally they follow God in the New Testament. Wrong. Verse 9, the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
It is not an exaggeration to say that ethnic Jews hated Christians. Jews had a very precarious relationship with Rome. Judaism was a legal religion under the Roman Empire. It was really the only non-polytheistic religion allowed. Jews were tolerated because they were known as the ancient people. Jews had political sway in a way that the Christians didn't. And the Jews didn't help the Christians either. The Jews had their synagogues and the Christians had their churches. Piper points out that the animosity from the Jewish community toward the Christian church in the first two to three centuries was immense. They were hostile toward Christians. There were times when Christians could skate under the umbrella of Judaism and avoid Roman persecution, but the Jews started instigating attacks on Christians. They didn't want their precious privilege threatened by these communities claiming Jesus was the Messiah. So they would report individuals saying, he's not a member of our synagogue. She's not a member of our synagogue. They started arguing that Christianity was not a legal sect in Rome. They began to act as informants for Roman authorities. Christians face persecution not only from the Romans but also from the Jews. Not only from the government, but also from the synagogue. Remember Paul who started this church? Received 39 lashes five times. That's 195 whips with a leather strap. From who? From the Jews. From the synagogue. Now, that's how Jews in Rome viewed Christians. Now let's see how God viewed those Jews. Verse 9, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are, march the, these words, a synagogue of Satan. God calls them fake Jews. Jesus did not define them genealogically, but theologically. They are Jews outwardly, but not Jews inwardly. They were national Jews, ethnic Jews. They were members of a synagogue. They could show you their genealogy, but Jesus said, you're not inwardly Jews. You're not true Israel. Physical heritage does not mean spiritual standing. In the Old Testament, God the Father commanded his children, Israel, to be circumcised. It was a mark to set them apart from other nations a surgery what they did to the flesh was a road sign pointing to what Jesus would do to the heart at conversion he circumcises the heart he's saying these Jews have had a fleshly surgery but have not had a spiritual surgery this is Romans 9 some children of Abraham are not actually children of Abraham He's telling the church at Smyrna, some of them Gentiles, you are spiritual Israel. The, the fake Jews claim Yahweh as their God, but they are not doing God's work. They're doing the devil's work. That's not God's synagogue, that's Satan's synagogue. By the way, after Jesus' death and resurrection, believers met in communities called churches. 
not synagogues. They met on Sunday, not Saturday. Once, Jesus looked at some unbelieving Jews and he said, you are of your father, the devil, and you do his bidding. Now, let me clarify. Jesus is not anti-Semitic. We've seen some of that in our culture and it's disgusting. We've seen some of it even in church history with Martin Luther and it's disgusting. Jesus is not anti his own ethnic group. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. The Bible was written by Jews, except for Luke and Acts. But they were inwardly and outwardly Jews, redeemed Jews, heart-circumcised Jews. Jesus is my Messiah, Jew. Christians in Smyrna were hated and misunderstood for two reasons. One, they refused Caesar worship. <laughs> you don't once a year worship the emperor? Declare Caesar as Lord? That's anti-nationalistic. It really wasn't a big deal to most. What harm is it in saying Lord Caesar and offering an incense once a year? The city was a hotbed for emperor worship. They even won a bid to build a temple to the emperor, like winning a bid to host the Olympics. But these Christians wouldn't call anyone Lord except for Christ. One, they refused Caesar worship. Two, they refused polytheistic worship. They would not worship multiple gods, only one. They wouldn't put Jesus on the shelf with the others. Christians were called atheists because they had no pictures and no statues for their God. Because the Christians refused to worship the gods and visit the temples, they were accused of being atheists and infidels. Verse 8, the resurrected Christ writes. Verse 9, the resurrected Christ knows. Verse 10, the resurrected Christ predicts. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. <laughs> Imagine being in this local church. It's already hell on earth for you. Then you hear your elders on Sunday morning read these words from the resurrected Christ. I'm anticipating further suffering. I know what's coming down the pike for you. It's going to go from throwing you on the ground to throwing you in prison. Church at Smyrna, I know what's coming and I'm not going to take it away from you. Who will throw these Christians into prison? The Romans, yes, they will physically do it. The Jews, yes, they will be the spark that starts the fire. But ultimately, it's the devil. He's the one behind it all. Enraging Jews and Romans against the Christians. First century Roman prisons were not nice places. They were not modern day prisons with beds and pillows, and cable TV and three square meals a day. 
This was a place usually for those awaiting execution. They lived in cramped spaces with stone walls and no windows. Jesus says they will endure this for 10 days. This, this does not mean they will be in prison for 10 days and then released. Remember, this is an apocalyptic, symbolic literature. This is a symbolic number. 10 days refers to a limited period of time. I don't know how long it is, but I know it has an end. Verse 10, do not fear. Fear nothing. Church at Smyrna, don't quit. Even if it costs you your life, stay there believing. Do not fear. This does not mean that your stomach will never churn or your palms will never be sweaty. It means you will never turn away from what Jesus has called you to do. If it were only going to last for 10 literal days and then they would come out safe on the other side, Jesus would not have said this. Be faithful unto death. Jesus knows some people in that congregation will die for their faith in him. And when they do, they will receive a crown of life. That's taken from the Roman culture. They gave out laurel wreaths, crowns, when someone won a race or an Olympic game. Jesus says, you're losing down there. You're not getting any crowns down there. But up here... You're winning, and you will receive a crown. This is symbolic as well. Uh, the Greek expert Robert Plummer says, the crown is eternal life itself. There will be no more pain, no more slander, no more shame, no more tears, no more depression or frustration and discouragement. No more spitting in your face. No more ripped skirts. No more looting. Just blissful, eternal life. The resurrected Christ writes, verse 8. The resurrected Christ knows, verse 9. The resurrected Christ predicts, verse 10. The resurrected Christ assures, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The phrase, to the one who conquers, is given to every church. The church at Ephesus in verse 7. The church at Smyrna in verse 11. The church at Pergamum in verse 17. The church at Thyatira in verse 26. The church at Sardis in chapter 3 verse 5. The church at Philadelphia in 312. The church at Laodicea in 321. Conquer. It's the Greek word nikao. Nikao. It's where we get our English word Nike. Some of you are, are wearing Nikes with a swish sign on your shoe. This word was used in military combat. It's not, Jesus didn't, didn't invent a new word for the church. It already existed in the vocabulary. This word was used in military combats. They conquered. 
This word was used in athletic events. They conquered. Jesus adds a new realm. When you are faithful unto death, you conquer. For the first three chapters of Revelation, that word is used to describe us. Then in chapter 5, it's used to describe Christ. Conquer, Nike, is actually the theme of Revelation. If you were to ask me to summarize the book of Revelation in one word, I would say Nike. Jesus has overcome the enemy, conquered. That word is used 17 times in the book. Because he's the ultimate conqueror, we are little conquerors. Because he's the ultimate overcomer, we are little overcomers. When facing persecution, how can you be an overcomer instead of a succumber? How can you fear not instead of fear always? The only thing that will steady you is the resurrected Christ. Verse 11 says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There's a, there's a double negative here. The one who conquers will no, never be harmed. There is something worse than death. Namely, the second death. These conquerors will be safe from the devil's death. This is speaking of the final judgment that will be unpacked later in this book. You will be saved from the lake of fire. Death is unavoidable. You say, but I got these pills and if I exercise enough, no. 100 out of 100 people die. Death is not avoidable. But the second death is. John Hooper awoke on the morning of February 9th, 1555, knowing that he would be burned to death. At 9 a.m., guards showed up at his door, fully ready with weapons to escort him to his execution. When Hooper saw these weapons, he assured them that they would not be needed. He calmly responded, I would have gone alone to the stake and have troubled none of you. Hooper looked upon the nearly 7,000 people gathered to watch his execution, many of them part of his former congregation. And a friend, say that loosely, a friend, Sir Anthony Kingston, tried to convince him to recant and avoid the execution. Consider that life is sweet and death is bitter. To that, Hooper memorably replied, the life to come is more sweet and the second death is more bitter. Expositing Jesus' letters to the church at Smyrna, that's four verses. Applying Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna, that's eight takeaways. Expositing Jesus' letter, applying Jesus' letter. Let's walk into these eight takeaways. How can we put this text on our front porch? Takeaway number one. Is your Christianity a little thin? When I say persecution, you say, yes, yes. Kyle, I'm facing it. They say happy holidays now instead of Merry Christmas. <laughs> they stop serving Christmas cups at Starbucks. We can be a bit melodramatic. Persecution is not inconveniences. I am not wishing persecution on this country. I love the freedom we have as Christians. 
I'm not wishing persecution on our country. I do think it would weed out the pretenders. Persecution is a revealer. Persecution weeds out the fakers. There are no casual Christians in persecuted countries. Why is it that everywhere the church at Smyrna went, there were riots, and everywhere we go, there are conferences? I want to say this gently but strongly. What if our government came out tomorrow and said, you Christians will no longer be allowed to gather on Sundays for worship? How would you respond? Kyle, I wouldn't let persecution keep me from gathering with my local church. But you let travel baseball do it. You let your job do it. You let family coming in from out of town do it. Satan, don't go to church, play baseball. Us, okay. Government, don't go to church. Us, no way. You don't tell me how to live my life. Honey, get in the car. There would be Christians coming out of the woodworks to attend. And I wonder how much of that is a love for Christ and how much of that is just the spirit of rebellion. Takeaway number one, is, is your Christianity just a little thin? Takeaway number two, we are not left in the dark about how the church at Smyrna responded to Jesus' letter. As this letter was being read, there was a young man in the church, in the church at Smyrna, sitting in the wooden pews. He, he would have been in his 20s, hearing the words of the resurrected Christ say, you're going to face persecution, fear not, be faithful unto death. He, he was born a slave, but adopted by a godly woman in the church. That boy grew up to be a man and ended up pastoring the church of Smyrna for 40 years. His name? Polycarp. He pastored faithfully, fighting off wolves. On one occasion, coming face to face with Marcion, the heretic, Marcion asked, do you recognize me? Polycarp responded, I recognize the firstborn of Satan. <laughs> the persecution against Christians began to ramp up to new heights. The people in the streets began to scream, away with the atheists. As Polycarp was being taken through those paved streets into the arena, the crowd went frenzied with the news of his capture. The governor tried to persuade Polycarp to recant, saying, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say down with the atheists, referring to the Christians. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium and gesturing towards them, he said, down with the atheists. The governor urged, deny Christ and save your life. Polycarp declared, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my God and my Savior? The governor said, I have wild beasts here. Polycarp responded, sin for the beasts. The crowd with loud chants begged to set the lions loose. He's teaching not to sacrifice to our gods, not to burn incense to the emperor. 
The lions had left, so the governor decided to burn him. Repent or face the fire, Polycarp. The fire you threaten burns but an hour, and then it is quenched. For you do not know of the fire of the coming judgment, everlasting damnation, a second death. Soldiers then grabbed Polycarp to nail him to the stake, but Polycarp stopped them. Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the stake unmoved without the security you desire from the nails. It's reported there was an audible voice from heaven that said, play the man, Polycarp. The report said people in the arena could hear the voice, but no one knew where it came from. Polycarp prayed aloud, thanking God he could suffer as a martyr. The fire was lit and his flesh was consumed. The historical chronicler of, of this martyrdom said, it was not as burning flesh but as gold and silver refined in a furnace. The smell of burning charred flesh did not fill the arena. No, it was a, a sweet-smelling sacrifice, like flowering myrrh trees crushed to produce fragrant perfume. Sixty years after Jesus' words to the church at Smyrna, Polycarp lived those words. He did not fear, and he remained faithful unto death. He received the crown of life and was spared from the second death. This account of Polycarp's martyrdom is the oldest account of a Christian dying outside of the New Testament. The historical accounts reveal that though it was Sabbath, it was the Jews who gathered the wood after the governor's verdict. They were eager to burn Polycarp and return to their synagogue of Satan. Takeaway number three. Don't be surprised by persecution. Our master was crucified. John R. Stott said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. We shouldn't be surprised if the message of a bloody cross offends people and brings persecution. The cross is offensive. We shouldn't aim to be offensive, but we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. I think it was York and, and Rogers who said, I don't know which one said it first, but they both claimed it. When God opens the windows of heaven to bless you, Satan will open the gates of hell to blast you. This church has the windows of heaven open to it and the gates of hell open to it. Suffering is the mark of a Christian. The servant is not above his master. Persecution has always been the environment in which the church existed. Sam Storm said, to suffer, to suffer is not an indication of God's disappointment with us, but an identification with Jesus. Takeaway number four. 
The lost world is watching you face persecution. Ajith Fernando told the story about a, a missionary in Asia who labored his whole life among this particular people group and saw no converts. When he died, a young pastor came in and preached and nearly everyone in the village came to know Christ. When asked why they did not come to Christ during the old missionary's ministry, they said, He told us you don't have to fear death as a Christian. So we waited for him to die. And we saw that it was true. Fear not. Remain faithful unto death. Here's another story. Christopher Love was headed to his execution and told his wife, Today they will sever me from my physical head, but they cannot sever me from my spiritual head, Christ. As he walked to his death, his wife applauded while he sang of glory. Friends, you are not ready to live until you know for what you are willing to die. Takeaway number five. Let's pray for the persecuted church. How can we help persecuted Christians? Were you in the sandals of these persecuted Christians? How would you want the church in the West to pray? You would want the church to pray that in the face of persecution, you would not fear. In verse 10, you would be faithful unto death. I heard a testimony of a persecuted Christian and he said, I don't want the church to pray for persecution to end. I want them to pray for my boldness as I face persecution. How is Jesus telling this church of Smyrna to pray? Is he telling them to pray that persecution would end? No. That they would not be fearful when it comes. The worst persecution among Christians is happening now. It's just not reported. We want to read this book not as first world Christians, but as worldwide Christians. D.A. Carson said, there has been more persecution in the 21st century than any century before. One pastor noted, 70 million Christians have been martyred since Christ's time on earth. That was 2,000 years ago. Half of those have died in the last 150 years. Every day, 13 Christians die for their faith around the world. It's the most underreported story on the planet. You should read the book, The Global War on Christians by John Allen. I don't want this church to grow fat and flabby. Smyrna is, is not the name anymore. The city still exists. The new city is built on the remains of the old city. Izmir is the modern-day city. There's only a faithful remnant of Christians remaining in that city. I fully expect for God to call some of you to dangerous areas to proclaim Christ. Because you have that John Faulkner spirit in you. I have but one candle of life to burn and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Pray for Izmir. Better yet, go to Izmir. Some of you will have the privilege of giving your life for Christ 
Seven years ago last week, 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded by ISIS for confessing Christ. Justin Martyr, who was 55 years old when Polycarp was killed, said, For it is plain that though beheaded and crucified and thrown to wild beasts and chains and fire and all other kinds of torture, we do not give up our confession. But the more such things happen, the more do others in large numbers become faithful and more become worshipers of God through the name of Jesus. Tertullian, who was born the same year Polycarp died, said, the more you mow us down, the more numerous we grow. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Takeaway number six. Persecution has an expiration date. It will be terrible, but not endless. Jesus promised the church at Smyrna it will only be for 10 days. It has an ending. God's answer to suffering was not to remove the believer from it. Rather, to reveal to the believer that he has overcome it. In verse 1, the, the first verse here, verse 8, Jesus rose, so will his martyrs. Graham Goldsworthy, one of my favorite writers, says it well, and I quote, Christian suffering is not forever. To think otherwise would make a mockery of the gospel and the hope of glory. Some of you will be tortured for Christ. Some of you will be called upon to be a martyr's wife. My job as a pastor is to prepare you to die for Christ. Be more afraid of displeasing your Lord than dying. If you are a child, pray for your parents to be faithful unto death. If you are a congregation, pray for your pastors to be faithful unto death. See, unlike the architect of Smyrna, the architect of your life doesn't make mistakes. Jesus didn't write these words so that you could merely read them. He wrote these words so that you could die with them. Takeaway number seven. Prepare your children to face persecution. Parents, don't be afraid for your children. Don't fret. Prepare your children for the road, not the road for your children. Well, I'm going to make sure they're safe and padded and never hurt. How about you make sure they're prepared for the sword? Well, I'm going to make sure they have a nice car, some nice wheels for the road. How about you make sure they're prepared to walk Smyrna's road? You need to let them know there are certain jobs they will not get because they are Christians. There are certain crowds that will always slander them because they are Christians. Son, there will be hell to pay unless you shut up or give up. But don't you ever shut up. And don't you ever give up. 
You can face this because Jesus faced far worse for you. You will face the wrath of man, but he faced the wrath of God. You will face the first death, but you will be spared from the second death. These church members in Smyrna, they had children. They had infants in the nursery while this letter was being read to them. They had little six-year-olds beside them when they first heard these words. Mama, hear me. Mama, your goal in parenting is for them to follow Christ, not to remain safe. Takeaway number eight. Non-Christian, following Jesus might get you killed. Jesus talks about death more to this church than any of the others. Non-Christian, and there's many of you here, I will not sugarcoat it for you. It will cost you to follow Christ. It may cost you your life. Count the cost before making a profession of faith. It was Diedrich Bonhoeffer who said, when God calls man, he bids him to come and die. That rings true for you. It was illegal to be a Christian for the first 300 years. There were 10 major times of Christian persecution throughout history. The, the first of the 10 came from Nero. His punishment of Christians was bizarre. This dude was whack. He would sow Christians in the skins of animals and then feed them to hungry dogs. He would drench them in wax and set fire to them so they would provide light for his parties. Gives a whole new spin on the meaning light of the world. The second major period of Christian persecution was when this book was written. Revelation. The outbreak came from Domitian. He would sear Christians, burn them, boil them, scourge them, stone them, hang them, lacerate body parts with hot irons, unleash bulls to impel them. The people in the church at Smyrna counted the cost before repenting of their sin and coming to Jesus Christ as Savior. Non-Christian, will you? Let's stand together. Father, embolden your children to take strong stands for you. When our faith is failing, sustain us. When our body is burning, comfort us. When our tears are falling, remind us. Remind us that we've been promised eternal life with you. And that the persecutors, they will answer they will answer in the second death. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource of Faith Family Church. We gather on Sundays at 495 Hugh Hunter Road in Oak Grove, Kentucky, and are a short drive from Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, as well as Clarksville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website, myfaithfamilychurch.com.